Great. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here. It's slightly different this time. No, this time last week. Last Saturday, I was speaking at um, a, sc- a school, St. Andrew's Turi in, um, uh, in Turi. And um, I, was gre- uh, I was doing this sort of farewell speech to their graduating class of 23. And it was a somewhat different group, as you can imagine, because um, there were about, I don't know, four or five hundred um, 18-year-olds, 70-year-olds, cool as you like. Um, and I thought I spoke quite well. Uh, that's, uh, we'll see how that goes. But at the end of it, one of the girls came up, a very precocious lady, and she was like, um, yeah, that was okay, that was pretty cool, but, you know, I just wonder, how does your mind work? <laughs> And I had no reply to that. <laughs> and I, I mean, she was leaving, so I couldn't even get her expelled or anything. But it was just like, how does your mind work? So I found that quite challenging. Um, but it was, it was a reflection of um, chaos coming out of order. T- today, it's quite funny. I was sort of um, working out what to, about three weeks ago, I was working out what to, I'd be saying. And, you know, you're sort of praying, saying, Lord, I'm going there. What do you want to put in my heart? Here's a blank canvas. And I put in quite a bit of time, and just to show you how in touch I am both with God and the church administration, I decided on Friday to recheck my emails to see who had spoken before, who was speaking afterwards, to align everything, only to find I'd missed an email, admittedly from about three weeks ago, and I had been preparing entirely the wrong topic, okay, (laughs) and the wrong scripture. So on Friday, it was a wake-up call that actually I need to check my emails more often, but otherwise you'd have been hearing something on Raising from the Dead, which had been entirely inappropriate for a baptism Sunday. Um, So my apologies for that, and um, I think we just have to work through that. But one of the joys hearing the guys from Wycliffe today was just this idea of God's plan being worked out and the way that God has these promises. And um, I guess what I'm going to look at today is promises because it's, it's, there's so many promises in the Bible and we end up, if you're like me, getting these rabbit holes of particular promises, particular callings and stuff. And as I was preparing this, you know, like most people who are giving a, a message, you, you're speaking to yourself. And I was preparing it and God was just putting stuff on my heart. It was like, there's this whole area of your life that really you've let go into dormancy. And when I was thinking about it, and I was like, okay, when was I last in that space where this was all really, really true to me? And that was probably when I was a young 16-year-old. Um, and I'll tell you what it is in a second, so you have to work out where my gaps are. But in the meantime, um, let's just start with a word of prayer. Lord, we just want to just commit today to you, Lord. We thank you that today is a day where we celebrate the Holy Spirit, Lord. And we just want to repent of the times that we focus maybe on the other areas of the Godhead and we don't focus on the Holy Spirit. And we just pray today that you would come, Holy Spirit. I pray for the words I give. They'll be of you, Lord. What is not of you, just to be cast to the side, Lord. And we pray that you would delight in us today to the glory of your name. Amen. Um, so we've been looking at the book of Acts. And um, one of the things that obviously has come out of it is that Acts is this book that if you were to do again back to uh, ChatGPT, which I mentioned last time, is if you were going to do a ChatGPT on how should the church work and what should a church look like, it would give you the book of Acts if it was really that smart. It would just say, listen, just read Acts. And it would just say, that is what God designed the church to look at. That's what the kingdom of God should look like. And we've been following this journey of Paul. And Paul has been going, and one thing we love, by the way, all this stuff about Acts, is we think of Paul as this amazing evangelist. But what comes out of Acts is he's an amazing pastor. 
He goes back to these churches, sometimes not to go and convert people, but just to go and support them and to build them up. And I think that's just one takeaway straight away, is just the pastoral nature of Paul. So this is his third missionary journey, turns up at Ephesus, and um, we arrive at Ephesus, and it says this. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 in all. And that scripture generated a lot of sort of um, commentary, um, the whole commentary about can, when do people become believers? Um, are there unbelieving believers? Um, you know, there's a whole way on that, the, the baptism of repentance of John versus the baptism of the repentance of Jesus, etc. But what people forget taking out of it was basically, if you look at the whole books of Acts, if you look at gospel, there is so many different ways that the Holy Spirit comes. And people get fixated on particular ways that the Holy Spirit comes. When did they come? Were you a Christian when you received it? Oh, you can't be a Christian unless you have received it. Have you been filled? And that theology, and I'll come into it, some of it later on, because some of it is just horribly wrong, and some of it is just misleading and takes people away from it. I just want to go through a quick run-through, because... I'm not going to do a 101 on the Holy Spirit. I think most people here understand who the Holy Spirit is. Most people here understand the gifts of the Spirit. And we'll touch on that at the end. But this is, I'm trying to speak because this is something that's put in my heart to people who are mature in Christ, but somewhere along the line have forgotten what it really means when the Holy Spirit comes in power. Now, first of all, let's remind ourselves who was there? The first Genesis 1, who was there? hovering over the earth, the Holy Spirit, okay? So some people think, oh, Holy Spirit, well, this is a Pentecostal charismatic type thing. You know, it's kind of, we're Calvinists, we don't really believe in it. He was there at the beginning, and God mentioned him at the beginning because he was obviously part of the Trinity who's lived in perpetuity with the Son and with the, uh, with the Father. And as churches, sometimes we, you know, I remember an old friend of mine talking about the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, and he was juggling three balls, the Father, the Spirit, and the Holy Son, and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit, and he was juggling them, and he was like, you know, some churches are all about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, some of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and other churches are like the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and others are all about the Father, and actually what it should be is this wonderful balance of the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and so he was there at the beginning. Now, we always think the Holy Spirit only showed up in Acts, but of course he didn't. He was there all the way through um, the Old Testament, all those theophanies, the experiences of God, the visions of God, the presence of God. He was there. And in fact, there were people who were filled with the Spirit in Old Testament. There was a guy called Bezalel. Bezalel, the Wycliffe guys. I've got to be very careful with my theology now. They're here today. I've got to be, I'll just look every now and then, I'll just check. Anyway, Bezalel. And Bezalel was filled with the Spirit, and it says this in um, Exodus 1. See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs. So he was filled for this, for work in gold, silver, and bronze, etc. Okay, so there's those side. And then we get to the New Testament, okay? And back to this argument of when you're filled with the Spirit, and it's so relevant for today when people are being baptized, amen, was John. When is John filled in the Spirit? And he was filled with the Spirit even before he was born. That's what it says in the Bible. 
Luke 1. Jesus. When was Jesus filled with the Spirit? Okay, now this is a very technical mute point because he was part of the Trinity, so he obviously had the Spirit in him, but there's also a part of his human side that was filled with the Spirit. Okay, when all people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. The apostles, we always think of the apostles as these people who are obviously all the way through the ministry with Jesus, they were filled, but they were filled after the resurrection, after this, he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw that the Lord, this is when they see him for the first time, and they doubted whether he had been raised. Peace be with you, and as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Obviously, the disciples, most of the day of Pentecost, which we've already read and looked at. The Gentiles, which really put people's noses out of joint. When did they believe? Well, they received, many of them in the, in the book of Acts, received the Holy Spirit when they actually believed. Because as they believed, the Holy Spirit came on them on all who had heard the message. What about Paul? Paul, the sort of legendary, the Maradona of the Spirit. You know, that guy there. Theologically, it's there. Um, he, when did he do it? Well, first of all, he became a Christian on the road to Damascus, didn't he? And it was only a few days later when Aeneas prayed for him, and Ananias prayed for him, that he was filled with the Spirit. Okay? So there are so many incidents where people who are passionate about Jesus are not filled with the Spirit. Okay? We'll come on to that in a second. Others. What about the Samaritans? So the Samaritans had had whole time without knowing about the Holy Spirit until Peter and John came and laid hands on them, and then they were filled with the Spirit. And then it brings us to the disciples where we're at now in Ephesus, where these poor guys, can you imagine Paul rocks up, and he asks you just one really basic question, are you filled with the Spirit? And you have to fess up, you haven't even heard who the Holy Spirit is. I mean, that is an awkward conversation, okay? And, of course, what does he do? He lays hands on them, and they are filled immediately. And they go from the sort of the, the pilot light of this, if you imagine a, a, a sort of boiler you have in your house, a pilot light which is just there bubbling away, to when you turn it on, it goes... Whoosh. Don't turn it on so much now with the gas prices, but that's another... You know, you turn it up, and that is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. They're suddenly on fire. And the key to the growth of the church... In the, Old, in the New Testament, in Acts, was very much that. The explosive growth of the church was about the proclamation of the word with power. And I'll come on to that. You see, when we look at the Gospels, the Gospels are what Jesus and the disciples did before Pentecost. Yeah? The rest of the book of Acts is about how the church worked after Pentecost. Okay? And when we look at how Jesus did it, I mean, I think the models we need to look at is obviously what did Jesus do? How did he do it? What did the apostles do? What did the disciples do? What did the early church do? And then what are we doing? And there's a little bit of a gap between the last group. And there's, we've kind of dropped the ball. And that's where I'm going to come to in a second. But when you look at Jesus' ministry and his healing of the sick and his praying and what he does in terms of... Um, raising people from the dead, and just a, a ministry that is based on power. And he does it as a, you know, it's his whole way of bringing up the apostles was just show and tell. This is what I'm going to do, just copy, just follow me around. You're going to see me pray for people, and you're going to see amazing signs and wonders. Copy this. And of course, that's what the apostles ended up doing. They were with him, number one, so that he could send them out to preach, and they might have the authority to preach. Okay, 
That's where the apostles came in. And the idea that he was with them, and that's where they learned. And of course, we have the Spirit with us, so he's with us now, and we'll come on to that as well. And the most powerful people on earth are those who have been with Jesus. Yeah? And it doesn't just mean them, it also means us, because we've been with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And the eternal question for most human beings when they're discussing faith is to know and to experience God. All right? And we need to work out where we're dropping between the knowledge and the experience. And I'll come on to that again. Now, the early church and the disciples. And we've got to remember that the only document that we have that tells us 100% about what God wants the church to do and how he wants, what he wants it to look like and its life and its ministry is the book of Acts. That's the only document we have, 100%. There's people who've written commentaries. There's people who have looked at other aspects and given thoughts. There's one book that talks about 100% of what God wants the church to look like, and that is Acts. And the question we have to ask ourselves, does he want something different today? Has God somewhere along the line said, well, actually, you know, that 101, that was good, but things have changed. I'm, I'm busy making... Um, charcuterie at the moment. I, I farm and I, I, I'm making sort of bacon and sausage, pancetta, prosciutto and things like that. And one of the things, now you want to know me, yes, exactly. So one of the things I do, of course, is I'm trying to do it the old way. Because nowadays, if you go and look on, on YouTube and all these books that are written, they all talk about adding nitrites and chemicals and all of those things. And actually, what I'm trying to do is say, listen, that stuff is really bad for you. And I just want to use the old ways, which basically salt, smoke and time. But I have to go right back to the early documents, the early people who did it. Or sadly, now the only people who've got the real reference are some of the sort of hillbillies in the sticks in the Alabama or something. My people. And um, <laughs> sorry, but you have to go right back there to understand what was the, how it was meant to be. And it's the same with the Book of Acts. We go right back there and say, okay, let's revisit that and see where we have gone wrong. And Paul, what I love about Paul, he he talks about. I'll read this. When Paul placed his hands on them, this is when Paul's doing his ministry, um, they spoke in tongues and, and prophesied. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom." And you see, that's in contrast, back to the experience, that's in contrast to what happened with Paul when he was in Athens. And Athens, he tried to use ration and reason and try to be persuasive arguments and really didn't get far. And this is where we start seeing that the word must also demonstrate power. Okay? And I, maybe some people call it power evangelism. There's so many different ways of looking at it. But let's understand this. And one of the books I found when I was sort of going through this, I found a book by my uncle, David Foote, which he wrote in 1967. And I think he'd be delighted that I actually quoted him here. So I'm going to quote him anyway. He said, Let us understand that God's work must be done in God's way by the people he calls and with equipment he alone provides. And that is really sets the scene for the rest of the book of Acts and the foundation of how the kingdom of God will grow and move forward. And the idea of the work of the Spirit. So when they prayed and the Holy Spirit showed up, signs and wonders were there. And they helped to authenticate the gospel. Okay? And they helped to authenticate Jesus' message. Um, and we, I won't go into all the, all the bits in the Acts where it talks about the signs that were performed, etc. We know that those things were there. And the, 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 the growth of the early, the early church for 300 years 
was based on the living Word of God. Yeah? The fact that the proclamation and demonstration were together. That's why the church grew so rapidly. And then, of course, when Constantine came and made it a state religion, it started to dwindle because we started relying on our own wisdom. We started to rely on human ways. And suddenly, you see the church plateau out. And what we've seen is that through history, since those sort of 300 years have passed, the times where God has really broken through on a scale that we read in the book of Acts has really only been in times of revival. Yeah? We've all done our bit. We do our bit in individuals. We do our bit as churches. But when we look at the times where God has come and showed up and done his stuff and people have come to know him, which is the purpose of it all, it's doing major times of transformation, um, of revival. And I just want to give you this quote, a guy called Edwin Orr. But there have been certain seasons called revivals when God has poured his spirit out on his people. These times, often called awakenings, occurred when the presence of God is experienced in powerful manifestations of the Holy Spirit. You can see where I'm going here. And some of your theology is going to get a little bit, we're going to have to have a long discussion on that. What I would suggest, if you have issues with the power of the Holy Spirit and manifestations and how that works... One of the most amazing books, Jack Deere's book, Power of the Holy Spirit. I'll lend it to you, read it. The theology is there. People like him and John Wimber, people who came from a very Calvinistic background, who felt they were almost cessationists, that things stopped. When the last apostle died, anything to do with the power of the Holy Spirit died. That was just an example of what could be one day in the end times. The theology is there. I haven't got time to go through it today. But these are people who taught that, and then God showed them another way. Now, if we look at those, all those revivals which have happened since then, and um, just to mention some of them, you'll know about the Armenian revival, the Ethiopian one, the one that um, in Ireland happened, then you had the one in the 1730s, you had John, um, John Wesley's revivals, you had this, the Great Awakenings in America, um, you had the Azusa Street revivals. I mean, you look at these revivals that happened, and they make us look so pedestrian and tame as a church today. You know, and this is what I'm saying about changing our expectation, changing our paradigm. Because we get into this space where we're like praying for things. And actually, when you think about them, you're like, he's given you his Amex Platinum card. And you're like buying a cup of tea with it. That's a metaphor, probably not the best metaphor to use. But okay, basically, we've got so much potential through the Holy Spirit. And we are using up a hundredth of it. Okay, in terms of what we're asking for God. And I think looking at those revivals remind us of what God would have us do, both corporately and individuals as well. And I remember, you know, there's been plenty of revivals in our lifetime, in East Africa, in Central Africa. I remember going to the Toronto Blessings when that happened. You know, all these different revivals. Please, if you have a chance and there's a revival happening with nearby, go and see it. Or even hop on a plane if you can. Because those revivals remind us of what God wants the church to look like. Yeah? And they shake us out of our little comfort zone sometimes. And the things that happen out of those revivals, when you look at the Manchurian revival or the Welsh revival, where hundreds of thousands of people came to know Jesus because of those revivals. And the world has not yet seen in our lifetime, I think, what could happen and the scale of the consequences of what happened in Acts because we have settled for less. And I just, that's a challenge to me very much, but it's a challenge to us corporately as well. 
And we see, you know, revivals. I mean, I won't go into what a revival is. You know what a revival is. But you see confession. You see generosity. You see bodily manifestations. You see signs of ones. You see new communications of faith. You know, new people are brought into the limelight. It's an exciting and a wonderful place. And John Wimber says this. He's called us as kingdom people doing the stuff of proclamation and demonstration to do... Uh, to do the proclamation demonstration. To only do half of what we've been called to is not a complete gospel message, and we must do all of what God's placed upon us. So we're very good on the proclamation, but we're not so good on the demonstration, okay? And I just want to just, for a little bit of theology, what the words for works, we tend to work out the works, the good works we do, the social justice work we do, the community work we do. The works also include the works of the Holy Spirit, which include the signs and wonders, Yeah? And so I'd ask you, as you're thinking about it, just ask yourself, when was the last time that with hand in your heart, you really saw the work of the Holy Spirit happening? Something incredibly profound, something that supernatural. Can you use that word? When something supernatural happened, okay? And if it hasn't been regularly, I would just encourage you, God wants you to change what is your natural into your supernatural, to start seeing the world as God sees it, okay? Because we end up in this paradigm where... A bit like the screw tape letters, where there's all this spiritual stuff going on behind, but we're just stuck in the here and now. We're stuck in what we see and understand in our little worldly way. Wiki Prattney talks about revival being a, like a romance, just you know, the way it happens in different ways, just so that you don't think it has to be particular ways. And I think something we've got to be very conscious of is there's so many revivals happening, or no, signs and wonders happen with what I would say cultists people who do not have authentic relationships with God, but they have signs and wonders. And I think one of the things we have to do as Christians in Kenya is reclaim that land, okay? We just have to look at all these false prophets. We have to look at all the things that happen. For sure, there are signs and wonders that happen there, but what is the source of them? And our people are looking for people who follow and believe in Jesus Christ, who will be able to come, proclaim, and demonstrate the power of the kingdom of God. Yeah? So... There are, of course, we have some fears about it. People talk about disorder. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes and there's disorder? And, you know, people are very good at quoting 1 Corinthians. There is sometimes disorder, but if God is in control, listen, if somebody is beating his wife, drinking every day on drugs, and it takes the Holy Spirit to knock him flat on his back so that he goes back that evening as a turned and repented man, then that is order coming out of disorder. Okay, so sometimes question when people start coming up with excuses. Well, we don't want a bit of disorder. We, you know, we've got to be very careful about it. The whole process of actually us changing is changing us, which requires a certain amount of friction, a certain amount of change, and a certain amount of um, disorder in that. Um, you know, it's like if we're praying for rain. You know, as a farmer, we pray for rain. If the rain comes, that's disorder. It really has spoiled my sunny day. But that's the purpose of the prayer was for the rain to come. And I think that's sometimes the case when we invite the Holy Spirit to come in power. It sometimes does get messy. But we also know in whom we believe in, we know who is the ultimate authority if we walk under that. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about manifestation. I think time-wise I'll pass on that. But I think it's one of the wonderful things is, you know, the world has said that God is dead. Okay? And um, not even Nietzsche, just contemporary people nowadays really don't believe him. And what they're looking for is for people, and what God is looking for, is when people come alive, we pray, we seek his face, we repent, and allow the power of God to come and demonstrate to people that he is alive, 
okay? Because it's not just by hearing. People also need to see the power of God. And the church needs renewal and reform. And I think that's our ultimate goal. So I think we have forgotten what it's like to be supernatural, that we belong to supernatural religion, and it's spread by supernatural means. And question your theology, um, does it include that? Because we're not putting the full gospel message if we're only doing part of that. And the manifestations of the Spirit, and I'm going on about that because that's what happens on things like baptism, which is happening today, manifestations of the Spirit are not meant to be the exception. All right? If you look at the book of Acts, manifestations of the Spirit happen every single time somebody is filled and baptized. Yeah? So let's not get surprised. Let's change the delta between our expectations and the reality. You know what it's like when you've sort of um, saved up to go to a restaurant and you've booked a restaurant and you've been waiting a long time to go there. It's going to cost top dollar. You turn up and it's always slightly underwhelming. The opposite happens sometimes when you walk past a little kiosk somewhere and you try something and their mandazis are out of this world. You weren't expecting it. We need to manage our expectations and our reality. And our expectations need to be from the book of Acts as to what God will do when we pay in the Spirit and the Spirit turns up. And let's get into that mindset of saying, okay, Lord, we're not just going to be pray, you know, filled with the Spirit and we're going to ask for the gifts of the Spirit and, you know, I want to pray for a little bit of healing. It might not happen. It might happen. Let's change our perspective, which is based on what Benita was talking about, about faith, so we can ask for our faith to be increased, so that when we ask the Holy Spirit to show up in power, we're like, of course. Because he said, even greater things shall we do. Yeah? And back to that 10% limit, we haven't even got to, like, anywhere near it. You know, when was the last time anyone here saw somebody raised from the dead? Okay, I have not. But that should be our expectations. Okay? I'm sure many people here will testify to when they've seen people being healed. I've seen people with broken bones, literally healed, no x-rays showing any breakage. When have we seen people with demons cast out, which have ruined a life and suddenly gone like that? But a lot of it is changing our expectations and learning where God would be. Because as the class of 300 AD to 2023... We've been really remiss in understanding and believing in what God would have us do. And I think it's something there that um, today is a day of baptism. Let's just look out for that. Let's just pray for that, okay? If there's ever a time where God can say, okay, I'm willing, if you want me to, to show you what I'm capable of doing, let's do it. What's, what's the worst thing that can happen? He doesn't show up. He shows up in a way we don't like. We feel it's underwhelming. Do we look bad? No. God is big enough to absorb that. Yeah? He is big enough to... Faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. Okay? We need to take the risk, go there and say, Lord, we are going to lay hands on people. We're going to pray for you to turn up now. And as people are filled with the Spirit, we would love you to be exalted by the signs and wonders that demonstrate that the kingdom of God is here now. And I, as, as, we, as we're walking along that path, I think something to remind ourselves is that bit in Hebrews where it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, yeah? Some people were like, well, he's, slightly, he's changed. If he was doing it then, and he was doing it with the early church, and he was doing it with the revivals that we've seen and witnessed and heard about and have been documented, he will also do it today. And he anoints us for his mighty works. He tells us that. And he tells us, greater works we shall do. And he says, even so, I will send you. We just look at the Great Commission. It is all about this stuff. And we, we focus on the Great Commission about proclaiming, but 
half of the, the Great Commission is about proclaiming and demonstrating um, him out, his outpouring of the Holy Spirit in an unprecedented magnitude. And that is something I would love us to start working on. The kingdom, this is another John Wimber quote, the kingdom is about doing just as much as teaching. If we aren't doing the works of the kingdom, the message isn't complete. And Jesus in Mark, remember what he promises, he said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to all nations. And he's got nine things in terms of will. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands when they drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick, and they will get well. That was Jesus. And either he was bluffing, or he meant it. Yeah? And I think that's something we have to get on. Why does he do it? Because his authority he has given us becomes our authority. Yeah? Not because we're good, not because we're... We know our Bible, we go to church. He has given us his authority when we accept him and his Holy Spirit. And what are we aiming for? Of course, we're aiming for the messianic kingdom of God, the rule of God come to this earth, ASAP. Hopefully, in the 90, 100 years that everyone we know has on this earth, that they experience something of the kingdom of God yeah, in that time. And it can be manifested and is, should be manifested both spiritually and physically. And as I said, your theology is brilliant. Our theology is brilliant when it comes to the spiritual side. The physical side, that's the biggest reason why people became Christians, because they saw and they believed. And I think it's one of the biggest reasons why us as a church and us as individuals are not as effective, because we are proclaiming, but we're not demonstrating. They are not seeing what the Word of God actually means, the power of God, the kingdom of God, when it being at hand, it is here, at hand. And that requires us to step out in faith and allow God to show the signs and wonders that He would like to do, but which are based on faith. Because if we don't believe He's going to do it, He's like, yeah, sometimes He does, but when you actually really believe that God's going to do it, and I don't mean some sort of emotional belief that is there, but a fundamental belief in what God is capable of in 2023, I think we'll be surprised. And where is it going? And I'm coming into land just now. It, it goes towards the year of the Lord's favor. And this is from Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to play, proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedoms of the captive, and to release from the darkness for the prisoner. Sorry, let's say that again. And to release and release from darkness for the prisoners. It is for everyone. And Joel goes on to say this, and afterwards, I'll pour out my spirit on all my people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And it's not just a pointer of where the kingdom of God will go. It is a pointer of what is an essential part of the kingdom of God. Okay, and I know that's what I'm challenging myself about today, is, is that part of my vision for the kingdom of God in my life? And this, other, this lovely thing, when people, and I, th I think we see it in some of the people who have misguided, and I know a lot of people have been hurt by crusades, revivals, abuse of the Holy Spirit. This wonderful thing John Wimber says, we don't seek God's power, okay? That's a very good point. People focus on God's power. Remember Simon who saw the healing, and said, how much can I pay for it? And he didn't, it didn't go very well for him on that one. Um, but we don't seek God's power. 
we seek his presence. His power and everything else we need is always found in his presence. Yeah? So one of the things we do and we will do at the end of the service is ask for his presence to come. And in that process, we start recalibrating. And as I said, that's as much to me. We live this dualistic world where we believe some things and we don't believe other things. We believe in the natural, we don't believe in the supernatural. Um, and I think we need to remember that the supernatural is not an exception. Okay? And I'm just going, hitting that point again and again. We need to change the view that the supernatural is not the exception. That should be the natural. And there's a quote here from Schofield. He says, Since the days of Pentecost, there is no record of the sudden and direct work of the Spirit of God upon the souls of men that has not been accompanied by events more or less abnormal. It is indeed on consideration only natural that it should be. We cannot expect an abnormal inrush of divine light and power so profoundly affecting the emotions and changing the lives of men without remarkable results. As well makes... as well expected from a hurricane or an earthquake or a flood, to leave nothing abnormal is in its course, is, is to leave nothing abnormal is in its course, as to expect a true revival. And the idea that things will change. And because we want to join with the psalmist one day and say, I will open my mouth in a parable and I'll utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling generation to generation about the praises for God and his wonderful works that he has done. And I wonder, you know, when you look at these wonderful people, um, you know, who've gone on, people of faith, they've been able to look back and talk about the works of God that they have seen. And I think that's something, again, for us, is have, we need to have that sort of um, autobiography to be able to say, I have seen the work of God. And if we haven't, let's ask him for it, as simple as that. Because we're there to imitate the ministry of Jesus. So I'll just wrap up by asking that question that Paul asked that person, which was, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Yeah, it's about that, because without the Holy Spirit, we're not even going to get off the starter blocks. And I think for some people, there are people who are longing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are some people who are not longing, but they're receptive to it. There are some people, perhaps, who are downright hostile to it. Um, there are some people who are uninformed. They don't really understand it. Um, there's the unlikely people, the Samaritans and Gentiles. You're like, well, that's not for me. I'm a, you know, I go, I'm Church of England, very high church, um, and we don't do that sort of stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, God is just faithful to those who open their hearts to him. And I think it's time to take the theory of what we know into practice. And um, yeah, I just, just take that risk is what I would say. You know, I think there is, if I look at people who have been filled with the Spirit, most of them have just come and said, I don't know, I'm not sure, um, I'm just going to trust you, God. And remember, it talks in the Bible about which father gives their son a scorpion when they ask for a fish. You know, God is like that. He loves you immensely. He's never going to give you something that is going to embarrass you or that is going to make you less of a whole person than he would have you be. So be willing to take that risk. And what I'd love us to do before we go into the baptism, is just have a time where we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And I think, again, just not just individually, because I think that's really important. Yes, if you would like to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this is a great time to do it. And they are gifts. They are things you can ask for and you will be given. Okay? 
And if you haven't been in that space before, you know, start with something very simple. Paul always talks about, you know, speaking in tongues. He celebrates that. And I think the reason he celebrates it is because it's one of the easiest ones to get, you know. Or if you want a gift of healing or a gift of prophecy, now's the time to ask. Don't ask, don't get. Honestly, that's how God works. If you want to lock yourself in a cupboard and say, I'm saved and I'll see you when you come back, Lord, fine. You know, but... Don't ask, don't get. And I think now is a really good time to do that. And as a church, corporately, I think, and as a nation of people who believe in, in Jesus, let's also be asking for those amazing signs of wonder which demonstrate the power of God. And I'm going to finish with a, a, a couple of verses for when Paul then writes back to the same people in Ephesus in the book in Ephesians. And he says this, a prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to, immense, to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.